Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I do want to, I want to get back to a series that we started a few weeks ago entitled, Who's Kidding Who? And I want to talk about this, this issue of, of how we impact the next generation. It's Father's Day. For all of you that are here, that you are a father or you have a father, happy Father's Day to you. And uh, I'd like to say happy Father's Day uh, to my dad as well. Um, I, I will tell you this, that much of who I am is a result of, of a, a godly father that, that has demonstrated this to me. And uh, my, my, my father is not perfect. In fact, I will say this knowing that my father is probably watching now, that he regularly watches our service. Okay? And I have to tell you this, I have to, I have to tell him my dad. My dad runs sound in the church that he attends. But while he's running sound in the church that he attends, he watches our church service. Don't tell his pastor. But my, uh, my father, is a, he's, he's, he's a, he is a wonderful guy. He can, be, um, he can be obnoxious at times. Because my father, he is highly opinionated. Uh, if you don't believe me, just ask him. He has no problem telling you his opinion on, on uh, the things that he holds dear. Uh, politics. My dad watches Fox News, and if he's not watching Fox News, he's recording Fox News. Uh, he can talk to you about anything that's happening in the political spectrum, anything that's happening in the world, or anything that has to do with the NRA. My dad, that's, that's the world that he lives in, okay? Um, and, uh, but, and, but here's what I have found. I have found this, that, that my father is consistent. My father would not cheat a man if his life depended upon it. If he tells you he's going to be there, he's there early. If he makes a commitment, he keeps it. As, as children, and, and then even into adulthood, being a part of his family, I, I've watched as he has modeled this thing called discipline. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I, I want to talk to you about this issue of discipline. Because I want you to recognize this. That the difference between champions and also rans is this. Champions do daily what the average person does occasionally. Champions put in the time. They, they understand what the Apostle Paul meant. When he said this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way. Run in such a way. We live in a time, we live in a season where discipline is almost a dirty word. We, we, we live in a time period where we're making great efforts to try to create a pain-free existence. And yet, the axiom that says no pain, no gain is absolutely true. And the writer to Hebrews says this in, in Hebrews chapter 12. He tells us that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Right? But it seems painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. When, when you think about those moments in your life when you've experienced discipline, 
Okay? And, and, and let me pause for a moment and say this. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Right? And I've experienced both in my life and, 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 and recognize the difference. Okay? And both punishment and discipline bring pain. But the pain of discipline comes with promise. The pain with discipline brings profit. That's what it says here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces. I love that idea that pain, the pain of discipline, that it produces. What does it produce? When I was in high school, I played on the high school football team. And every day at the close of practice, we would do the same routine. I hated this routine. I knew that it was coming and I loathed it. Not loved, loathed it. Sprints. And we'd either run the football field or we would run the hills or the bleachers. The worst was the, when you had to run the bleachers. And here's what happened. And I, I, I went to several different schools uh, during my high school experience, and every coach did this. And they each did it the same way. And we would start to run, right? And as you ran, and at about the point where you felt like you were going to be sick, here's what, the, here's what the coach would go. Second quarter. What? Second quarter. And you just keep running, right? Keep running and keep running. And, and you needed to keep running because you didn't. The guy behind you would run over the top of you. Third quarter. Third quarter seemed to drag on forever. Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, now you can, you can see your lungs coming out of your mouth. Right? You're just, you're giving just the last, and, and, and finally, when you know, okay, he's got it, we've got to be done, we've got to be done, we've got to be done, we've got to be done. Most of the time he would say, hit the showers. Every once in a while he would go, Overtime, oh, seriously, just put me out of my misery now. And man, they would run us and run us and run us and run us. Why? Because here's what our coaches understood. The game was not won in the first quarter. The game was not won in the second quarter. The game was not won in the third quarter. I'll never forget winning a playoff game in overtime and the coach saying to us afterwards, this is why I ran you so hard. Because you didn't run out of steam and they did. He actually said this to us. He said, he said, he said gentlemen, they were the better team. They had the better talent. But you came through with effort and endurance. Skill will get you in the door, friend. It's endurance that brings victory to your life. Let me say that again. Skill will get you in the door. It's endurance that brings victory in your life. And endurance only comes through discipline. Endurance only comes through discipline. Skill gets you in the door. It's endurance that brings victory. 
That's the reason why, if you look at Hebrews 12, it says this. Hebrews 11, it, it talks about all these heroes of the faith. Those who, those who continue to persevere in the midst of great challenge. Those who continue to live honorably in the midst of great difficulty. Those when put to the test, they did not bend, they did not bow, they did not break. And then, and then as, as, we, as we go from Hebrews chapter 11 into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. It says, therefore, right, because of this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off or put off all these things that entangle us and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run the race before us with endurance or perseverance or let us run the race in a disciplined fashion. Because we have this wonderful witness of all those who have done this, who have walked with endurance, who have lived their life within discipline. Let us follow their model and let us get rid of those things that can cause us worry and woe, that can bring struggle and hardship, that can cause us pressure to please and, and call us to compromise. And let us run this race with endurance or with patience, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was before him, right, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Then it goes on a, a few verses later, the writer of Hebrews says this, and this is, the, this is the heart of what I want to get to this morning. He says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, or lose heart when he rebukes you. Don't, don't, don't despise the discipline that God brings into your life. And, and don't lose heart when he rebukes you. Why? Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And, and he punishes uh, everyone he accepts as a son. That's the reason why it goes on to say in verse 7, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If, if you're not disciplined, and, and, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who have disciplined us, and we, and we respected them for it. How much more should we respect, uh, submit to the Father uh, of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God di disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Right? And we go, get to that verse I mentioned earlier, that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, However, it produces. What does it produce? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained for it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. God, I, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that as we unpack this, that you would truly, that you'd make it a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We, we commit this to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I, I want to point out four things to you from, from Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to key on two verses, verse 5 and verse 6. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. I, 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 it's important that we understand that discipline is a serious matter. It's a serious matter. 
It, it is something that is absolutely vital in our lives. And, and it's something that we, not only should we expect, it's something that we, we should look to, we should value, and we should appreciate. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Right? That's the reason why the word of God tells us to consider it pure joy when you face trials and tests. Why? Because in the testing of your faith, it produces an endurance or it produces a perseverance. It's so easy when we find ourselves facing a difficult situation, when we find ourselves in a, in a, in a pressure-packed moment, it's real easy to go, God, why are you doing this? Or God, where are you? And, and it's easy in that moment to become critical of God or even become bitter towards God, right? And blame God. There are two things that I want you to know. God does not bring bad upon you. Okay? God does not bring bad upon you because God God's not the creator of that which is bad. But understanding human nature and understanding the things that man will do, God turns all things together for good for those that love him or are called according to his purpose. And so God does not supernaturally remove every negative thing that happens in your life, and he doesn't supernaturally remove every negative thing that happens in your life for two reasons. Number one, God's given mankind free will. Number two, he recognizes that you journeying through this, that you walking through this, that it, what it's going to do, it's going to produce in you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to create endurance in you. And as you navigate through it, God's going to use those situations as opportunities to sand the rough edges off in your life. And, and make no mistakes, you have rough edges. Right? We all do. He who has begun a good work in us will continue that work until the day of completion. And, and, and we, we can trust him in that. But recognize it. Recognize the importance in it. Recognize the value in it. And here's the biggie. Don't run from discipline. Lean into it. Let me say that again. Don't run from discipline. Lean into it. I, I used to think that the, um, the best way to go was to find the easiest teacher. I used to think that the, the right path was to find the kindest coach. But Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 11 is correct. That those situations that are tough on us and those people that, that push us hard, it doesn't seem pleasant at the time. Seems painful. I had teachers I hated. I spoke ill over. I cursed. I tormented. Why? Because they were 
They were ruthless. They were tough. As I look back, though, you know the teachers that mean the most in my life today? It's not the teachers that let me cut corners. It's not the teachers that allowed me to coast. I had a, I had a high school psychology teacher. The first day of school, my junior year in high school, I was hit by a drunk driver. Spent some time in the hospital, broken leg, internal injuries. Got to school. I, I missed about 10 days of school. And I walked in, and here's what she said to me. She said, Mr. Garvin, because of the trauma that you've experienced, you've experienced enough trauma, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go ahead and give you an A for the semester. She was my favorite teacher. <laughs> I do not remember her name. Okay? Mr. Cervantes, on the other hand, was my world lit teacher. And when I walked into class, after being gone for 10 days, walking in on crutches, Mr. Garvin, it's so nice that you can finally show up and grace us with your appearance in our class. Here's what you've missed. You've got two weeks to catch up. What? Do you not know I've been hit by a car? I'm a, I'm a victim. I think you should feel sorry for me. Yes, here's the work that you missed. You have two weeks to catch up. He is, he is one of those individuals that made an imprint on my life. Right? Isn't it interesting? The person that, that demonstrated no discipline towards me, don't remember her name. Mr. Cervantes, who showed me no slack. I'm still a little bit angry, Mr. Cervantes, but I, if you're watching, I forgive you. And yes, I still have a love for world literature. This issue of discipline, it's a, it's a serious matter. Okay, and there's two sides to that. Those of you that are here that are parents, discipline is not something that you should take lightly. Especially those of you that, that are just starting your family, Discipline is something that you need to have a plan for. Because if not, what will happen is this. Is instead of providing discipline for your children, all you'll do is punish. And if all you do is punish your children, here's what's going to happen. You're going to exasperate your children. Right? And the Apostle Paul says, do not exasperate your children. If all you do is punish your children, they're going to become bitter, not better. And so it's important that we recognize discipline is a serious matter and welcome it in our own life. And to, to those that we have responsibility over, it's important that we provide consistent discipline. That we have a, that we have a game plan. That, that you can be counted on. I'm going to tell you about our house growing up. Or with our children, Jody and I. There were, there were a few things that our children knew. Number one is this. We told our children, don't ever call to say, if I can, can I stay out late? 
Okay? We have the time set that you're supposed to be home. Don't call and ask if you can stay out late. Now, if there was something happening later at church, we already knew that, right? So they didn't need to call to ask if they could stay out late. But don't just ask to stay out late because you're hanging, over, hanging out at somebody else's house. Because, by the way, nothing good ever happens after 10 o'clock at night. So if you're calling, just tell, call, tell me where to pick you up. And so our children knew this. They knew growing up, don't call and ask if you can stay out later. They already knew the answer. Now, some of you might sit here and say, that's rigid. Here's my response to that. Our children knew the guardrails in our home. Right? They didn't have to wonder whether or not those guardrails would be there. And those guardrails were consistent. They could, they could count on them. And here's what happens. When discipline is consistent, we can breathe. You know why? Because we know what to expect. When discipline is inconsistent, it creates anxiety in our life. And so you can be confident that your Heavenly Father is going to be consistent in the discipline that He provides. And you can walk in that, and there's, there's great freedom in that, right? Because the guardrails that God provides, it's not there to restrict you, it's there to protect you. When you drive down the interstate, the place where they have guardrails, they're, they're, they're not there to keep you out of some place, they're there to protect you from harm. Right? When there's no danger, there are no guardrails. You drive down I-4, you drive down I-75, I-95 throughout Florida. Where there's no danger, there's no guardrails. Right? There's just the grassy swale there. There are guardrails wherever there's danger. And here's what God consistently does. God consistently puts guardrails in your life to keep you from danger. And, and, and recognizing that, recognizing the model of our Heavenly Father, it makes sense to us as earthly parents that we need to consistently provide guardrails to those with whom God has entrusted us. The discipline is a serious matter and we need to take it seriously. It's also, it's a sympathetic act. It's something that's done from the heart. Right? That's what it tells us here in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. I understand that he's doing it sympathetically. He's not doing it haphazardly, nor is he doing it uncaringly. It's a demonstration of heart. Because it's a symbol of love. That's what it is. Discipline is a symbol of love. Punishment is an expression of anger. Discipline is a symbol of love. And, and, and you, can, you, can, you, can, you can trust that God, is, that God is going to be consistent in that. Right? And so, so we, we walk in that and we, we, live, we, live, we live healthy in that. And that's the reason why I, I made this statement earlier and I'll make it again. That it's important that we recognize the difference between the pain of discipline and the, and the pain of regret. And, 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 that we, and, that we, and that we walk in that, uh, and, that we, and that we live in that. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn over to the last book of the Bible. I want you to turn to Revelation 3.11. Uh, and, and, uh, 
and, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I want to show you. Okay? Um, actually, not 311, uh, 319, I apologize. Look at what it says in Revelation 319. By the way, this is, I'm, in showing you this, there, the I want to talk about Revelation 3.19, and then I want to talk about Revelation 3.20. Because Revelation 3.20 is a scripture that oftentimes is misquoted. And can, I, can I confess this to you? I've misquoted it many times. And people will oftentimes misquote Revelation 3.20 when they're giving an appeal for someone to make a commitment to Christ. And, and, and they'll say this to the unsaved person, that God is knocking at the door of your heart. See, this is what it says in Revelation 3.20. It says, I... Be, See, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. But if you look at this, God did not write Revelation 3. It's not a message to the unbeliever. Revelation 3, this portion of Revelation 3, who is it, who is it addressed to? Well, if you look at, at Revelation 3.14, it says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Okay? So this is something that was written to the church at Laodicea and prophetically to the church today. In fact, it's the portion of Revelation that I believe that most appropriately speaks to the church today, right? Because here's what it says. It says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Verse, verse 15, Revelation 3:15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, I don't know if there's a portion of scripture that could better apply to the... Christian community to the community of believers today than this portion of Revelation 3. Because, and I, I don't say this critically, I don't say this judgmentally, I say it observationally, we live in a time where the church tends to be pretty lukewarm. Even in our worship, we worship worship more than we, we worship the Creator. I didn't think I'd get a whole lot of amens out of that, but I'm very comfortable, it's okay. And, and here's, here's what it says, Okay. He says, I counsel you to buy from me uh, gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and, and, and white clothes to wear so that you can uh, cover your shame and, and, and nakedness and salve to put on your eyes, okay, so you can see. And, and then it says, look, Revelation 3, 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. So what he's saying in Revelation 3, he's not saying that he's standing at the door of the unbeliever's heart. He's saying this, I'm standing at the door of the church and I'm knocking. Right? And what's the message that he brings to the church? It's this, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. It... If you want to live your life as a champion, if you want to do more than just exist, it's vitally important that we understand that discipline, that is a serious deal. It's a serious act. It's also, it's a sympathetic act. It's a, it's a demonstration, it's a, it's a symbol of love. And it's a symbol of love that gives us an incredible statement of value. 
Over and over again, it tells us this. It tells us that God treats us as dearly loved children. He treats us as dearly loved children. I'm at a I'm at a, a fun season in life. And, and can I say this? In parenting, every season has been great. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the newborn days, right? I did. Being able, to, being able to hold your child in your arms. I don't do that so much anymore. My son's six foot tall. It's, it's a little bit, you know, challenging. He, he, he squirms. He doesn't like it. Those were, those were great days. And when I'd sit and I would, I'd rock them to sleep at night. I, uh, I lovingly recall hearing my son and my daughter reciting lines to the latest Disney video, right, as they're strapped into the back seat of the minivan, which I swore we would never own. Then we entered that season of adolescence where in their eyes I knew nothing, right? Driver's ed. Jody told me with both of our children, you are teaching them how to drive. It deepened my faith. <laughs> and I, 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 I looked fear dead in the eye. I came out the other side stronger for it. I watched my daughter and then my son graduate from high school. I, I, I see my daughter finishing one season of college. I see my son getting ready to go into college. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm watching my children now in adulthood. I'm grateful for the models of discipline that I had in my life. And I don't regret on any level the, the discipline that I provided for my children. We are at a season as a, as a culture for whatever reason we're, we're pushing back against this issue of discipline. And as a person, let me challenge you, let me encourage you to embrace discipline in your life. Lean into discipline in your life. As a pastor and as a friend, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. And, and at times when I challenge you, here's what I know. I know this. At times when I challenge you, it's going to feel uncomfortable, awkward. Sometimes even painful. For example, and, and, and let me just go ahead and, and, and go there. For example, when I think about the issue of stewardship, life stewardship, time, talent, and treasury, you'll hear me say this every week, that 
walking with God is more than God's need, let's eat, now I lay me down to sleep. It's more than an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's, it's more than throwing a couple dollars in the, in the offering bucket as it goes by. I, I, need to, I need to be disciplined in the way that I handle my time. I need to be faithful to be in God's house. I need to, outside of the time that I spend here, I need to daily have a time that I spend in the word, in prayer, and in worship. And I have to understand that I'm called to be, I'm called to be salt and light. That giving time to invest in reaching out, going out in the highways and byways and compelling them to come in, if I'm too busy to pray, I'm too busy. If I'm too busy to read the word, then I'm too busy. Turn off your television a half an hour earlier at night to where you can wake up 15 minutes earlier and spend some time in the word. And, and here's what will happen. You'll... you'll feel better for it. Discipline stinks. Last night at 8.15, I went out and I ran six miles. Why? Because it was in my routine, in my schedule, yesterday was a day to run six miles and I didn't get a chance to do it in the morning. Can I tell you something? At 8 o'clock at night in Orlando, it is still freakishly hot. I did not believe in purgatory until I moved to Orlando. <laughs> and running in this heat and humidity, you will become a believer in purgatory. There was nobody out there cheering me on. Nobody. When I got home, drenched in sweat, my family did not say, good job. My wife did not hug me. The dog came over by me and I guess decided that I smelled and walked away. People ask me, do you like to run? And I don't like to run, but here's what I like. I, I like the way that it makes me feel later. And so that issue of consistency. You know, when I get up in the morning to do my devotions, I want to hit that snooze button so desperately. And not only do I want to hit that snooze button, I have voices in my head. Does anybody else? <laughs> 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes. Right? And I can either get it, get, give in to that voice or I can, I can be true to that discipline. Can I... Can I let you know another secret? This issue of the tithe, that's not always an easy thing for me. See, I, I grew up in abject poverty. I, I grew up experiencing firsthand in significant fashion what it's like to not have enough. You add to that, we, um, 
we had something very significant happen in our in, in our life on Friday. For for nine years, we've been paying for a home that we don't live in. We um, we we moved. We took on a ministry assignment in 2006 in Fort Myers, and, and because of some situations outside of our control, some some issues that were going on in the church, it seemed best, we were, we were a staff pastor, it seemed best for us to step away from that. Um, and um, as you know, that was when the, those of us who have lived in Florida for a while know that that was when the economy turned, right? And we got stuck in this house. And, and, and a lot of people had to give their houses back. A lot of people had to short sale their houses. And, and, uh, and I, this, to those who had to walk down that journey, I, man, I totally understand. We, we said, this. We said, you know what, God, if it comes to that, we'll walk through that door. But to the degree possible, we put our name in that mortgage, we're going to pay that mortgage. And so for nine years, we have paid the mortgage on a house that we didn't live in. And even though we had it rented, we still lost a big amount of money every month on that house. And so we have lived for nine years with no margin. In fact, if you do the math, our budget didn't make sense. And it would have been so easy to say, God, I'm, I can't give you the tithe this month. Okay, God, I'm going to tithe because I know that I have to tithe, but I'm certainly, I can't, I can't make the commitment to missions that I feel like you're calling me to make. Friend, I'm not trying to get in your pocket today. We've already received an offering. We're not going to receive another one. I'm just telling you that, that discipline of being consistent in time and talent and treasury, that I face those same pressures that you face. And, and not, not that I'm perfect in it, but can I offer you this? That disciplined life, it works. It works. And yes, it's painful in the moment, but what it does is it produces a harvest of righteousness. So take discipline in your life seriously. As God brings discipline into your day, or as you offer discipline to others, let it clearly demonstrate sympathy. Not callous disregard. Why? Because discipline really is an expression of love and a statement of value. My prayer for you is that God will continue to be present in your life in such a way that there's a refining work that happens. And the result is this. That you can live a life that is filled with substance, with significance, and with joy. That life is found, that life is found in the disciplined life. The the world needs Jesus. 
I'm going to say that again. The world needs Jesus. And they will see Jesus in us. And what will stand out is this. It's the fact that we live what we say. We demonstrate the compassion, the kindness, the humility, and the holiness of God. That takes discipline. I, um, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and it's, it's, it's a statement that I've made from time to time, and, and I, I, I make it on a periodic basis because I want you to grasp it. That we have to let our light shine, right? We are the light of the world. And we cannot compete with all that the media offers. We can't compete with all that culture is bombarding us with. We, we can't compete with that. But this idea of being the salt of the earth, it, it only takes a little bit of salt to make a big difference. And at times, we can look at how little we are and how, how big the challenges are, and, and we can think that we... What can we do? Right? But a little bit of salt makes a difference. It's amazing how a, a little bit of light can push back the darkness. And when it comes to the issue of the light, the biggest thing is I don't have to be the, I don't have to be the brightest bulb. In fact, there are times people have said I'm pretty dim. I just have to be the light that's nearest.